Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Well, after the previous episode being one of randomness, let's do a themed episode today. In fact, let's talk about aminals. How can you not love animals, right? Well, after this episode, you'll likely have one of three feelings about animals. You'll either be terrified because apparently they're just toying with us, or you'll be sickened by their abject rejection of God's laws as signified by their absolute perversion. Or you'll be sad, or, or maybe maybe happy after those first two stories, that most of them will be gone soon. We're going to start by taking a little swim with the fishes over there. And then talk about penguins just going to be penguins. And finally, we're doomed. Uh, again. So grab your favorite furry companion. No, a pet. An animal pet. While you still can. While you still can. Get some treats, because we all love treaties, and curl up on the couch. Because, hey, yeah, I know, hay is for horses. Hey, here we go. First, <clears throat> my apologies for my voice. I'm just getting over a cold. Not the Coverona, at least not that I know of. But it's a little bit off. And, of course, now the wheels on the facade bus that I record all segments at one time have completely fallen off. As I've pointed out before, humans have self-identified as homo sapien sapien, wise, wise man. And the more we decide that we've got it all figured out, the more we discover that although we are the top of the food chain, we've barely scratched the surface of the wonder of God's creation. From MSN headline, Colony of 60 Million Fish with Transparent Blood Discovered in Antarctica. The first paragraph pretty much sums up the enormity of this discovery. Quote, A breeding colony of 60 million fish has been discovered in Antarctica's ice-covered Weddell Sea, a unique and previously unknown ecosystem that covers an area the size of Malta. Now, Malta is a small island off the southern tip of Italy. It's about 122 square miles in area, which is about the same size as the city of Little Rock, Arkansas. But later in the article, they say they estimate the area is around 93 square miles or about the size of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Either way, this is a fairly large discovery, to say the least. The article goes on to say, quote, The fascinating find shows how little is known about the ocean depths. Wow. Okay, how true are these words, and how minuscule is that thought? We'll come back to this in a minute. The ice fish itself actually sounds pretty cool. It lives in basically zero degrees Celsius, or for the rest of us, 32 degrees American, uh, temperature water, and apparently has no hemoglobin, or at least not the type that most animals have, because it has no red blood cells, so the blood is actually transparent. Because of a specific protein in the blood, the blood won't freeze or start to develop ice crystals in the super cold water. It also has a see-through skull, and some of the skeletal system is somewhat see-through. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. Now, this is where the article touts a few things that they absolutely know about stuff that they absolutely knew nothing about just a few days prior. One, they believe that this is the world's largest ice fish ecosystem, you know, because they didn't know about this one before. So now they definitely know about all possible colonies and that this is the largest one. And then they state that the fish evolved the antifreeze blood protein so it could live in these cold waters. We'll expand on this one in a moment. I think you'll find it enlightening. 
Now, they found very distinct nests. They estimate 60 million of these nests, the likes of which they've never seen before. Each nest was about 6 inches deep and about 30 inches in diameter, outlined by a circle of stones containing on average 1,735 eggs each. How do they know that 60 million nests contained exactly 1,735 eggs on average. This is no different than when figures are given about evolution. Specific numbers that can't possibly be verified are given in order to build credibility with the reader. Even something as trivial as average number of eggs, when combined with a massive number of nests, will play in your mind to put you in a mode of accepting these science-talking guys know what they're talking about. Now, they said these nests were evenly spaced, but no, looking at the picture, no, they're not. It doesn't really matter, but again, there's a reason they say this. They're trying to assign a greater level of intelligence and thus importance to these fish so that we humans don't view them as just fish. This is done for a purpose. They said that most of the nests were guarded by a single adult, but not all, and not all nests were currently in use. Moving to a parallel article in Popular Science, popsci.com, Headline, quote, ice fish build bizarre undersea nests, and that's just the beginning. They state that the ice fish was first discovered about 100 years ago, but their beginning dates back 30 million years. At that point in our Earth history, the Antarctic seas went from balmy to frozen over. Most of the inhabitants moved out, apparently because they couldn't or didn't want to evolve. But the ancient ancestor to this fish adapted, evolved to the conditions, allowing it to survive in the cold water. Over time, quote, its descendants dropped their scales, swapped in a clear version of blood, and thinned down their bones to the point that some organs can be seen through the translucent skeletal cages. I love how these evolution stories make these statements as if they have one shred of proof, as if they have a real scientific way to not only claim 30 million years ago, but also make it sound like swapping blood is as easy as getting an oil change, and thinning bones is just a matter of going on a diet. It gets better, though. They go on, quote, This modern and revamped ice fish shed many of the features that we know of from fish simply because they were unnecessary, dangerous even, for its lifestyle. Again, the evolutionists and these authors make it sound as if evolution is a choice, like animals can turn it on and off when needed. Why didn't the other animals in the region do this if it was a choice? Now, they continue on with more unprovable fairy tales because they need it, you know, to make their theory happen. Quote, over the eons, the species gradually built up and developed floppier bones for buoyancy. It started riding on ocean upwellings to feed on krill and zooplankton, casting off part of its bottom-dweller status. Now, after some more <clears throat> facts, and some actual facts based on observation, both articles come to the payoff. First, the MSN article says that due to the uniqueness of this ecosystem, it should be designated as protected areas. Okay, well, I mean, look, we protect everything these days. Not everything really needs to be protected, but I, let's, we don't need to argue that right now. That's fine for now, okay? But the popular science article gets to the real heart of the matter, which is that you are the problem. Uh, we don't eat these fish, but we're heating the planet, and that will likely destroy them, blah, 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 blah. These scientific articles are all written 
the same basic way. A discovery is made, a large number of X millions of years is placed on the evolutionary timeline of these creatures, a lot of claims are made that are completely made up by scientists that are trying to craft a narrative that will fit their theory, as there is literally no data or evidence that could support their claims, then the creature that has somehow survived millions upon millions of years through warming and cooling, through all sorts of natural disasters, willing its own adaptation to whatever nature has thrown its way, is going to probably die because you want to have your home at 72 degrees in the winter and you want to drive your oil-burning pollution mobile places. Beyond that, as I pointed out, they want to make it sound as if evolution is as simple as a princess kissing a frog, or in this case, as simple as deciding to wear a different pair of shoes. They just decided to do things because it would benefit them. The scientists never talk about the intermediate steps to get to the final product. What about all of the ice fish that had heavier but somewhat floppy and weaker bones? What about the ice fish that had blood that was partially full of red blood cells, partially full of this antifreeze protein? What about the fish that had some scales and some non-scaled parts? And on and on. The questions are limitless. When the princess kisses the frog, there's a puff of smoke and the prince appears. Evolutionists know that the concept of spontaneous generation can't be overused because poof, evolution isn't accepted as it sounds stupid, but if we slow down the frog to prince transition frame by frame over millions of years, what kind of horrible tortured beast would we have as it changed? When you start to break down the theory of evolution, you start to see the absolute irrationality in the hypothesis. Now, as a side note, this is generally where the evolutionists will say that Christians will claim a miracle happened or God did it for specific biblical events, so that's the same thing. Except, no, in Christianity, yes, we believe those things, but we believe that there is an all-powerful, intelligent being that did the miracle or took the action. In evolution, it's random chance. They may not like Christianity, but that doesn't change the point that we have an actual being that causes things to happen. This, we'll say, theory of Christianity at least has some plausibility. And more laughably, this is where the evolutionist has just admitted that evolution isn't science, it's actually a religion. They must have faith that when they say, then evolution happened, that their god of random chance actually worked. No, I believe the Bible has a very clear, very plausible scenario that God made these fish, and I would say based on the uniqueness of them, that these ice fish are likely very nearly the same as when they were first created about 6,000 years ago. See, in some cases, we can see populations change over time, and they lose traits through reproduction, etc., etc., as habitats change, and certain portions of the population is susceptible, and other portions are more suitably adapted for survival. This, of course, will create a shift in the species, not change the species, but just a shift in maybe appearance or whatever. I have a hard time trying to reason my way from a more standard fish to these ice fish. I think these are designed as is, and wonderfully designed at that. What always gets me is the absolute ignorance and complete arrogance displayed by these scientists. Recall the second sentence of the MSN article, quote, The fascinating find shows how little is known about the ocean depths. See, prior to 2021, nobody in all of science in the entire world, for all of history that we know of, knew of this one 100-square-mile colony of see-through fish. There are still areas of rainforest, much of Antarctica, and some other random locations that have never been explored on this earth. 
A massive amount of the oceans, specifically the beds, have never been explored. There are creatures from the size of viruses to the size of who knows what that we've still never discovered. And this is just on our little planet. Look at all the planets in our solar system that we've never been to in any method. Look at how many solar systems in our galaxy. Look at how many galaxies in this universe. And yet we, mere specks of humans, stand up tall, puff out our chest, gather in a deep breath and shout, we're the wisest of wise men. We claim to know with great accuracy the start of the universe, the workings of everything, the patterns of evolution, the amount of time everything took, and on and on, and yet we have nothing but bones in the dirt and our imagination, and the passionate desire to eliminate the one true God and place ourselves on the throne. At the same time, isn't it amazing that God, who created us in his image to have dominion over this vast orb that we know so little about, also created a universe that we know nothing about that we get to just enjoy. I mean, imagine looking out at the night sky and seeing no stars, no moon, no planets, just a blank black sky every night. And then because of our rebellion and desire to usurp the throne, he brutally sacrificed his son as a payment for our sins, who would then conquer sin and death, making a way for forgiveness of sin and eternity with him in heaven. And this was all done for any of us little dust specks screaming at the sky that we are the wisest of wise men, if only we repent and believe. Now, some say God must be a cruel God if even one human is condemned to hell for eternity. But when you look at our rebellion, our failure to worship God for the amazing gift of creation, among infinite other blessings in our ho-hum day-to-day lives, our desire to rid ourselves of God so we can run this place the way we see fit, it's amazing that God made a way for and allows anyone to come to salvation. Now, when reading these articles, these findings, let us try to remember that it was God who made this possible. It was God who did this, and let's praise him for how wonderful he is for a creation that we haven't even started to grasp the immensity and complexity of. I think we can all agree that if there was a theme for the time and history that we currently inhabit, that theme would be that narrative or agenda matters above all else. Those that have interest in promising an agenda don't really care what bounds of logic or common sense they break or how they have to misuse science or twist data in order to push their beliefs. But how do they get away with this? Well, <laughs> mostly because we're lazy. I don't think I'm breaking any new ground here when I say that most people won't bother looking past the headline of an article to actually see what is being pushed. And for those that do care, you have a certain percentage that are on board with the agenda for whatever reason, and then a small percentage that disagree, but their voices are typically drowned out in various ways. From MSN.com, taken from CNN, headline, Same-sex penguin couple become first-time dads at New York Zoo. Aw. See, the agenda being pushed this time is at homosexuality, which which is beautiful because, as we all know, love is love, is natural in animals. And since humans are animals, homosexuality is perfectly natural and normal. We'll come back to this. So the story. Elmer and Lima, two male penguins three years apart in age, were both born in Rosamond Gifford Zoo in Syracuse, New York in 2016 and 2019, respectively. 
In 2021, during the breeding season, these two male penguins chose each other. Now, the zoo director says that the penguins can choose whoever they want to spend time or pair with. He went on to say, quote, The welfare and well-being of every animal that lives at the zoo is very important to us, and we support and encourage each animal to make its own choices when choosing their mates. Oh, really? Interesting, says I. When eggs are laid, there are times that some parents are apparently too rough with the egg, or there are times when fights break out around the egg, and these times result in the egg being damaged. Now, in order to avoid that possibility, penguins that have more of a nurturing nature will actually be given the egg to care for it, while the parents are given a dummy egg so they don't damage the forming baby penguin. Of course, how can we really be sure it's a penguin that's forming inside the egg? It's just a clump of cells, right? It's, it's not a penguin until the egg hatches, and then, if we're lucky, a penguin emerges. And even then, is it really a penguin until it knows that there's another penguiny day coming after they sleep for the night? I, I, I digress. Anyway, the article states that generally penguin couples split the time spent incubating an egg. While one is caring for it, the other is off eating or swimming, probably running errands, I don't know, not really sure. And they said that both Lima and Elmer have shown that they divide duties well and they care for the egg well. Now, the author states that there are many, quote, many same-sex penguin couples in the world. A pair of females in an aquarium in Spain, a pair of males in a Berlin Zoo, a pair of males at an aquarium in Sydney. You know, many. Oh, wait, let's not forget about, quote, the most famous couple, Silo and Roy, who, quote, found love at the Central Park Zoo in 1998. <sighs> well, but, quote, their love didn't last. Silo left Roy for his new flame, Scrappy, in 2005. Of course, this didn't happen until there was already a children's book that was written and published about Silo and, and Roy. Poor, poor Roy. So let's break this beautiful story of love and acceptance and romance and gaiety down, shall we? Here's what we know. Penguins pair up. That's what's happened here. The assumption that's being driven in this article is that penguins only pair up for sexual reasons. I think that's probably a generally true assumption, but... Could we say that's an always true assumption, as is implied? See, I would maintain that there's no way to back that assumption as always being true. Next, nowhere in this article does it mention that there is, in fact, sexual relations, homosexual relations between these same-sex penguin pairs. Now, there could be. In all reality, from our standpoint as humans, it's relatively inconsequential. Um, they're animals. Next, male and female penguins split the duties to care for the egg. So both males and females have a built-in, one might almost say designed, nature to care for the egg. By Elmer and Lima splitting the duties, they're not playing husband and husband. They're playing, it's my turn to take care of the egg. That's really all they're doing. And then finally, Elmer and Lima didn't create this egg, as that's impossible. They were given the egg that was, quote, 
initially laid by a heterosexual pair, Poquita and Vente. Uh-huh. So what can we take away from this? Uh, nothing. We can literally take nothing away from this. The, the trick they're using here is that they're humanizing the penguins. By humanizing them, you know, speaking of them in human ways, our minds will automatically start attributing human thoughts, reasons, feelings, and emotion to the penguins. But let me gingerly and, and gently bring you back to reality. Uh, penguins ain't humans. They're animals. And no matter how much of an animal lover you are, the bottom line, per God's created order, animals are simply animals. No matter how smart, no matter how human-like they may seem, they're not human. Based on the way this article is written, one would be led to believe that Elmer and Lima both made a conscious decision that in their quest for love, they would just really prefer penguin penis rather than penguin vagina. And yes, as much as you thought you'd never hear that, I never thought those words would be things coming out of my mouth. Additionally, from a human standpoint, there are heterosexual people that are not interested in a marriage or other sexual union and just have lifelong friends that are literally lifelong friends. In fact, I can say that I have friends of both the same and opposite sex, and they're just friends. I'm I'm not looking to get it on with any of them. They're just friends. Can animals be geared in that same direction? I would have to say, maybe? But what if they did have sexual relations? What then, huh? I guess I'd have to say, so? Have you ever seen a dog lay into a stuffed animal? Or your leg? I mean, animals have a built-in nature to have sex. This is to procreate, but it's also because they're in heat. It's part of their design to make more animals. Again, male dogs will hunch on anything, including other male dogs, because they're horny. Let's be honest here. But what they can't do is create other dogs by doing that. And this actually puts the evolution believers at odds with the love is love believers. And I can guarantee that most of these zookeepers that are, you know, encouraging the animals to just find love, I would bet that most of them are firm believers in evolution. So why do I say that those two views are at odds? Well, because the point of evolution is survival of the fittest. That means that being the dominant thing, you want to create more dominant things. A homosexuality taken to the absurd conclusion actually causes these species to cease to exist. As no matter how much you believe that love is love, that concept don't make babies. What's amazing is that by doing a simple search, you can find almost innumerable websites that not only describe homosexual animals, but celebrate the gayness in these animals and birds and fish and yes, even insects. Again, humanizing things that are simply not human. They don't think like humans, they don't feel like humans, and they don't reason like humans. So why is this such an important thing? Why is this being hailed as beautiful? Why are there articles written about animals acting, you know, like, like animals? It's because man is nothing more than an evolved animal. And since we see homosexuality in animals, it it means that homosexuality is a natural, wonderful, evolved trait. So stop trying to say it's wrong. To say it's wrong is just denying science. Okay, let's be realistic. 
nobody, well, nobody but the really fringe loonies, actually cares about animals just finding love. The zookeepers don't even really care, at least not beyond getting some publicity for their zoo. As this director said himself, they just let the animals choose their own partners. Now, this is being promoted as beautiful for nothing more than to push the homosexual agenda onto humans. That's it. That's the entire point. We find this in the end of Romans 1, where it tells us why we as a society are so obsessed with normalizing homosexuality to the point that we even drag animals into our delusion. It says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. See, humans have various reasons why they're pushing or affirming homosexuality. Some admittedly do it out of just blind compassion. Some are politically minded, knowing that to pander to any voter block will help them get elected. I could argue that those focused on a green agenda see the potential for a decline in population, which would help with their cause. And of course, Satan wants nothing more than to pervert God's design and destroy his image bearers in any way possible. But God is sovereign. Nothing happens that he doesn't ordain and that he's not in ultimate control of. And regardless of the motives of man, this is a clear indication that we've turned from God, opting to worship ourselves. So God is allowing us to do just that. I think, were the penguins and animals in general able to talk, I just have a feeling they'd say something like, hey, don't pull us into your perversion, we're just animals. Well, we're doomed. No, 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 no. Shut the alarm off. We don't need the alarm. You know how you like animals, or, or maybe you're not real fond of animals, but you know how people like animals and how we have a lot of animals, you know, just in the world in general. Well, get ready to have a lot less of them. Why? Probably because you want to run your car and eat meat and have air conditioning. Basically, I guarantee this is your fault. Let's take a look, shall we? Found on AS.com, or more specifically, the United States version, EN.AS.com. I believe this is a Spanish news site of some sort. And this can be found all over if you search for it. Headline, Earth's sixth mass extinction has begun according to scientists. Boy, try and say that five times fast. Well, that doesn't sound promising now, does it? The article starts with, quote, It is no secret that extinctions have been happening at an alarming rate in recent decades with human involvement and climate change blamed for creating habitats unsuitable for many species of wildlife. Okay, whoa, you pretty much don't stand a chance if you accept their initial premise, and they threw a lot of, quote, facts in there. So let's break that down real quick, shall we? Let's start with, it's no secret. Um, to who? Because I look at a lot of news and I just don't remember a massive number of extinction stories out there. Do you? And the left doesn't really miss a lot of opportunity to talk about how bad we are as people. So it seems to me that if it's happening at an alarming rate, someone is not letting me in the loop here. 
Next, extinctions have been happening. Okay, unless they have a different definition, extinction generally means there ain't no more of. The problem with claiming extinction is that there's no way to prove it. Unless you have your eyes on every single square inch of the earth at the same time, you can never claim extinction. You can state that the whatever hasn't been seen in X amount of time, and that's all you can claim. We literally can't even claim that dinosaurs are extinct as we've never explored every inch of the earth and we've never been everywhere at the same time to verify it. We can say that from our perspective, they're extinct because we just don't see them anymore. And that's all. Next, they say extinctions have been happening at an alarming rate in recent decades. Okay, I looked up the timeline of extinction. I found a website, endangeredlist.org, and they have an extinction timeline. What they show is that the western black rhinoceros went extinct in 2011, the eastern cougar also in 2011, the dusky seaside sparrow in 1990, the golden toad in 1989, the Japanese sea lion in 1974, the Caspian tiger in 1970, and then you're getting back into the 1950s before you get to the next animal. So that's six in basically 70 years, with another four that are classified as, quote, extinct in the wild. So that's an alarming rate? I'll be honest, I'm not overly alarmed. In fact, they have a total of 18 animals that they classify as fully extinct since 1627. Now, the article we're reviewing and the study they cite give a much larger number than that. We'll get into that. Moving on to their last claim, with human involvement and climate change blamed for creating habitats unsuitable for many species of wildlife. Well, I mean, let me refer you to the previous point. If humans are creating unsuitable habitats, either nearly all animals are really resilient, or this statement is nonsense, or maybe a little bit of both. And me stating that that way allows for the assumption that human involvement and climate change is a thing. Now, surprisingly, I'd argue that climate change is real. It's always changing. Quasi-scientists and a lot of politicians arrogantly think that the climate we have today is the correct climate, but they offer no proof as to why this one is correct. And I'd argue that human involvement has definitely affected the habitats of animals. That's okay. We're called on to subdue the earth and populate the earth and exercise dominion over the earth, and I say we're doing okay with that while still protecting the earth based on the extinction numbers. So the premise is kind of poor to start with, but, but now they say that the International Union for Conservation of Nature, or the IUCN to you and me, did a study that found that the Earth may be on the brink of a mass extinction event. Now, did you catch that? May be on the brink. <laughs> Hashtag science. Then they share a tweet by Greenpeace saying that, Researchers estimate that up to 1 in 10 of Earth's known species have already gone extinct in the past 500 years. <sighs> okay, so they estimate that up to may have. <laughs> Nothing like a good solid study full of facts, right? 
They then link to a story at independent.co.uk that has the even more alarming headline of Study Confirms Sixth Mass Extinction is Currently Underway Caused by Humans, with the byline of Since 1500, Earth may have lost about a tenth of its two million known species, say scientists. (laughs) Hashtag science. Back to our article. It's not going to get any better here. Worldwide, it is thought that more than 500 species of land animals are close to extinction and could be lost within the next 20 years. (sighs) I mean, there's next to zero actual science done here. These scientists, and that term is used incredibly loosely, studied 29,000 species of land vertebrate and, quote, estimated that the number of extinctions expected in the next two decades would likely take thousands of years if not for the negative impact of humanity. Oh, well, I mean, if they're so positive about this, yeah, sure, sure. Uh So now they move into an explanation of mass extinctions. They state that scientists estimate that 99% of everything that's ever lived is now gone. Poof. And then they move right into the theory of evolution, of course, accepting it as fact, which, to be honest, doesn't help their case here. They say that the Earth gradually evolves, and older species will fade away normally. But in the last 500 million years, there have been, fact, five times when 75 to 90 percent of all species went extinct. This is mass extinction. And these happen in short periods of time, defined as about 2.8 million years. You know, 2.8 million years. That's a short period of time. I mean, this is nonsensical. If you use a big enough number, nobody will think about it. They'll just accept it. Their concern is not that animals go extinct. Their concern is that they're going extinct too fast. They claim that more than 400 species of vertebrate have gone extinct in the last 100 years, which should take 10,000 years. And then they give figures of animals that are currently at small populations, and if they go extinct, it'll have catastrophic consequences on other life forms, etc., etc., etc. So where does this number come from? Well, you'll never guess this. It appears to be from assumptions and estimates. And this wasn't as easy to track down. I had to look up their... 400 number in a specific search, which led me to another article that had an endnote that linked me to the actual study write-up. The study was entitled, quote, Accelerated Modern Human-Induced Species Losses, colon, Entering the Sixth Mass Extinction, end quote. Looking at the abstract for the study, we find that they're very aware that, quote, earlier estimates of extinction rates have been criticized for using assumptions that might overestimate the severity of the extinction crisis. Ha! Good. They recognize it. Okay. So they fix the glitch. They state, quote, we assess using extremely conservative (laughs) assumptions. Okay. Now, they go on to say that, quote, first we use a recent estimate of extinctions, just a, an estimate, and then they compare it with known extinctions, and then they come out with a number that they believe minimizes or estimates conservatively the rate of species loss. And what's their estimate? Well, they don't state 400 plus. I'm assuming that their math somehow works out to this. I'm not doing the math. But they say that these have happened over the last 100 years, where they should have happened over the last 
800 to 10,000 years. Well, Your Honor, that's a pretty big range right there. So by their estimates, the extinction rate is between 8 and 100 times faster. But notice how these other articles grab the 10,000-year number only because 800 years is nowhere near as alarming. Okay, so we have estimate on top of assumption, on top of guesses, on top of an unprovable theory that's accepted as fact. This isn't science. This isn't even in the same room as science. I mean, let's look at this here. They can't prove 500 million years. They can't prove 2.8 million year mass extinction periods. They can't prove five previous mass extinctions. They can't prove extinction. They can't prove 400 plus extinct vertebrate species in the last 100 years. This entire study is a theory. It's a hypothesis. And, and that's what you're supposed to do in science. Develop a hypothesis, then use every tool you have to disprove the hypothesis. Then develop a new, hopefully better hypothesis and repeat. But this isn't presented as a hypothesis. This is presented as settled science, as a proven fact. And this is done without using all the tools at their disposal to disprove their theory like they're supposed to do. So an alternative hypothesis, one of which we actually have a very basic written history of, the Earth was created about 6,000 years ago. All animals were created at that point. About 4,500 years ago, there was a global flood. Two of every kind, which is generally thought of as genus or family in our current classification system, which is one or two steps above species, respectively. Two of every kind of animal was brought onto a large boat called an ark. Everyone and everything that wasn't on the ark was drowned in the flood, one large mass extinction event. I would have to imagine that there were a number of species that were destroyed at this point, since kind would mean, for example, maybe a few types of the cat kind, but not all cat species that had developed by that time would have been saved. Now, due to hydrodynamic sorting, which is the concept that when shaken up, different types of soil, sand, gravel, etc. will settle into different layers, as the floodwaters calmed and receded, the layers would have developed, and animals would have also sorted, based partially on intelligence, you know, getting higher as floodwaters ascended, and partly by mass, size, etc. This would easily give the appearance of ages, or periods, and would show mass amounts of animals in each. As for climate change, I'll suggest that you go to Answers in Genesis to look up the flood and climate change, or the flood and global warming, They've got a very interesting theory as to what we're actually seeing right now with the climate and why. The bottom line is that this unprovable, unscientific study that was done with nothing but assumptions and guesswork disguised as results and findings is being done for one reason only. This is to help push the green agenda. The push to eliminate greenhouse gases and the push to eliminate the use of fossil fuels is their goal. Unfortunately, this type of, quote, science is taken as fact, and the most verified written historical record of all time is taken as myth. And these two theories are in direct contrast to each other. The Bible says that man was created uniquely in the image of God as the highest being in creation, giving the tasks to subdue, fill up, use, and care for the earth. Evolution teaches that man evolved from animals, well, 
from rock slime originally, and is now the blight on the Earth, evolving apparently too far, and is now destroying the planet that's done nothing to deserve this. And we really need to be, you know, ultimately eliminated to allow the rest of the evolved stuff to have a chance at survival. What's funny is that evolution is fine, which is based on survival of the fittest, until it's not fine because it goes against the current political agenda. I think I'll rest my belief on a solid rock rather than their shifting sands. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless. Thank you.